Welcome, everybody. Hey, this is the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio, and I'm Eileen Grimes, your host. And we're going to have fun today. We're going to be talking to one of the best astrologers I happen to know from Illinois. His name is Ray Grassy. He's been on the show many times, and we have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about today, a whole list of stuff. But we're going to have fun talking to him today. And so also... On the Astral Celebrity of the Week, we have Mr. Rush Limbaugh. And you're probably going, why do you want to cover him? Well, because he did pass away on the 17th. And I do tend to take people that have pre- recently passed away or somebody that is actually in the news. And it seems like Rush and him passing are both in the news right now. So uh, we're going to talk about him a bit. And there's some really interesting things with his chart and we're going to talk about that. And Ray is a, a good authority on the stationary planet. He's one of the people that I look up to for information about that because I'm writing a book about it. So anyway, I'm really excited to be here today. Last week I wasn't here. I was broadcasting from Zoom at home, which actually worked out okay, didn't it, Ray? I mean, didn't it, Nathan? <laughs> yeah, Ray, how was it? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I hope Wrong he's name. listening to the show. <laughs> yeah, somebody's asleep on the wheel. I don't know. Anyway, it worked out really well, didn't it? It did. Yeah. I was surprised. I know we had something like, despite Mercury being in still retrograde, I guess, and yeah, your yeah, internet still, yeah. worked better than ever. Yeah, it was very surprising, and um, it was very clear, very nice, because you, you were afraid that my connection to Zoom was pretty weak. You know, and that I was going to be, you know, dropping out every now and then, but it didn't seem to happen. No. Yeah. So I also told you that we've got some upgrades on our internet at home, so that's going to help a lot too. So that happened just a couple of days ago. So I'm really glad about that. So anyway, so um, yeah. So if I ever have to do it from home again, I can. But I'd rather come up to the studio and see Nathan. Aww. <laughs> 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 well, it's true. Being in the studio is a whole different ball game, kids. I mean, it's it's alive, and even though maybe there's two people here, you, there's the element of being in the room with the radio equipment around you, and it feels very um, exciting. But even then, with Zoom, we have the ability to turn on video and still give you that impression like you are in the studio. It's yeah. just you know a little bit different. A Probably smells different. better. Yeah, it definitely does. But you being, you know, it was cool. I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to see the clock, and I saw on the, <laughs> I could see it right behind you. I, how perfect is that? That's awesome. So, anyway, yeah, I was so glad that you got the webcam to do the the simulcasting type thing. That was really cool because I love being able to see my guests. Of course, now with Ray, Ray does it by the phone, but that's okay because he sounds good anyway. But one of these days we'll get him to get Zoom. Could be fun to see him on the screen. So anyway, okay, so we're going to take a break right now. When we get back, we're going to start doing the Astro Celebrity of the Week. This is the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 a.m. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now, we're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. 
No other station delivers this much variety. Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back to the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. And now it's time for Astro Celebrity of the Week. Okay, so this morning we've got Mr. Ray Ray and Rush. Okay, starts with R. We have Rush Limbaugh on and... You know, if he's here in spirit, he will probably be glad to know that I think he was learning how to be sensitive this lifetime. We were kind of debating that the other night, Ray and I were. So anyway, I want to bring on Mr. Ray Grassy right now to talk to this uh, this subject. Mr. Ray Grassy, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Good. Glad to be here. That's great. Okay. So um, let's talk about... Mr. Rush Limbaugh for a minute. Uh, what are the things that really you notice? Let me give his birth date first. That'd be a good idea. January 12th, 1951 at 7.50 a.m. in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about him for a second. Uh, what is the a thing that really jumps out at you at the chart? Usually what's your first impression when you see it? Well, there's a, actually a lot of things that jump out at me. There's some very striking planetary configurations here. And, uh, and by that, I mean um, prominent energies where the uh, planetary aspects are very tight. Right. Like the Mars opposing the Pluto, the Saturn squaring the Mercury, right. the Sun squaring the Neptune, etc., but, you know, there's every chart has its good and its bad, so to speak. And right. that has nothing to do for me with whether I agree with someone's politics or not. It's I'm trying to look at it, you know, almost like in a dispassionate sort of way. Right. And on the positive side, there's no question about his media savvy sort of um, uh, talents with right. the Jupiter trining the Uranus and the Venus and the Mars and Aquarius. Right. And the first house and... Um, there's a lot here in terms of a man doesn't get to the position he's in without knowing how to do what he does very well. Yes. But it's there's there's a lot of struggle here in yeah. terms of he didn't get there overnight, even though no. he's been successful for many years. With I, I'm looking at that Saturn Mercury in particular, and you you mentioned about the those two planets are, were standing still when he was born. Yes. Yes. The, the Saturn Mercury is everything in his chart in some ways because that shows the struggle to communicate, the struggle to yeah. to kind of really develop his communications in his mind and all that sort of thing. Although it can, on the negative side, show some real mental depression. Definitely, if, um, I agree know, with that. And also a tendency, there's Saturn-Mercury, I think one of the challenges you sometimes see with uh, Saturn-Mercury people, not everyone, but a lot of times, is the tendency to be critical. And to, you know, a lot of his his persona had to do with criticizing people in power, especially, right. you know, people of the opposite party. Right. And, um, and, and that, I think, was part of his struggle, and I do see some of that drug dependency that he struggled with as well with the Neptune. Oh, uh, yes, but, the uh, moon in Pisces. Yeah, what, what, are you, what are some of your thoughts? You know, the thing that I, the first thing I notice about his chart, and I usually go by what I see the first time I look at it, none of his planets are conjunct on, this, on the chart. They're all like right. a little space away from each other. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it's a good point. You know, and I thought, well, that's interesting because I only have one conjunction in my chart. I have Saturn and, and, and Neptune next to each other. Well, that's the only conjunction I have. The rest of them are all sort of spaced out, you know, and I sort of see that with a chart like this, he's going to be interested in just about everything, you know, because it's all over the chart. 
but also he has the Saturn um, opposed Uranus with square to Mercury. Well, that's kind of the same aspect that I've got. You know, I have a Saturn Wait, opposed. You, that? you mean Saturn? Repeat that. I think I have. I mean, he has the Uranus oppose his Mer- his Mercury square to Mercury, Saturn. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I have a similar one. I have. You know, je- I have Mercury and Aries oppose Saturn squared to Uranus. I have almost yeah. the same thing in my chart. And the interesting thing is that what he would have been tested on, because it's very almost hyper conservative, which is very much Saturnian, but then he's also challenged on what he would information he would throw out, you know, so that somehow the Uranus right. would somehow save him, you know, if it was yeah. too conservative and too rigid. You know, and and somehow maybe he would maybe learn a little bit from being hyper conservative. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. There's another angle on it that I would add to what you said, and that is that he was born uh, like I was and and possibly you under the Saturn squaring the Uranus like we have right now. Right. In the sky. And that, you know, he played both sides of that fence in the sense of on the one hand, he was the Saturn conservative railing against the Iranian kind of liberals. And on the other hand, he was the upstart that was challenging people in power, whether that was Clinton or Obama or whatever. So right. he, he really manifested that Saturn square Uranus in terms of those two extremes. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because wherever he, wherever he was within his conservative belief system, he always had a Uranus side. It was going to strike yeah. out and and maybe challenge other people and with their opinions. So that would be like, you know, that would be like changing people's minds or even changing his own mind. So he had to always keep his brain kind of open to the possibilities, yeah. you know, rather than getting really stuck in one opinion, you know. And so it seems like he would have to do that, you know, because of the fact that um, I don't know what his upbringing was. Do you know what his upbringing I should know no, that. No, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I mean, um, it, I think, you know, I just I can't remember, and I should have looked it up. I should have prepared for that, but I yeah. was, you know, kind of curious about that. But basically, he was known for being a voice. And, you know, let's talk about that uh, Saturn-Mercury uh, stationary there for a moment. Right. Yeah, because I find that incredibly interesting. And also, there is a Neptune stationary. It's eight days out before it changed direction, but it's still stationary because it's within a couple of minutes of the time it you went. Bet. So it's stationary, you know. So they don't really include that on the Astro Data Bank page, but it's really something they have to consider, you know. Yes. And given that his Neptune rule, his Pisces moon, and his North Node, that could be a significant deal, you know. That could be a, a, a theme that's playing out in more than one area of his life, you know. And so he had addiction issues, I gather. Yeah, and, um, and I think the Neptune also manifested. He, it's not easy to, the, the one thing that you can say uh, in his favor as a communicator was um, it's not easy to sit and talk without a script for two or three hours a day on the radio. No, it's not. You have to have quite an active mind yeah. um, to do what he did. Yeah. And that involves a certain degree of Neptune in yeah. terms of the imagination. And, right. Uh, and he would stretch the truth quite a bit. And thats I don't mean that as a <laughs> hard criticism. It's just that the, the, the fantasy element and the, the, there was a lot of discussion with his career in terms of 
you know, what was he misrepresenting the facts at times, et cetera? The moon right. in Pisces, the Neptune station, yeah, uh, the Neptune squaring the sun. Did he really mean everything he said? Yeah, and uh, you know, and and well, there, there's a lot here. There's a lot to unpack with this yeah, chart. Yeah, exactly. But the communication, there's no question. Yeah, that so, the communication is is the key element here, as far as I'm concerned. I agree. I totally agree. I tell you what, we're going to come back here. We got to take a break really quick. We're going to come back here, maybe finish up with Ray, or not Ray, I'm sorry. It's really easy to go both names here, I'm sorry. With Rush, we'll, we, we will finish with Rush when we get back, okay? Okay. So this is the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW, Alternative Talk Radio. This is Martha Norwalk, every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m. Thanks in part to Nels Rasmussen at HealingMinistryForAnimals.com, we cover the world of animals. This week, February 21st, it's Behavior Training and Healing Sunday with me, and talk with your animals or human loved ones on this side or the other, and personal awareness coaching with Natasha Venter. We'll have open phone lines for your phone calls, so I hope you can join us and call in for Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150kknw.com. And welcome back to the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. And this morning we have on Mr. Ray Grassy with us. He is from Illinois, and he's probably one of the best astrologers out there. I'm so lucky to have him on. He's practically a regular on this show. We haven't had him on for a while, but... Anyway, we're talking about Mr. Ray, or I gotta stop doing. Jeez, jeez, I can't believe. Why did I have to schedule both of you on this show? We'll get there. We'll talk about Ray eventually. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anyway, Rush Limbaugh. We're talking about him because this chart is infinitely fascinating, and uh, we were just talking about the fact that the Neptune with the square to Uranus and and. Um, to the Mercury and all that, that really made an interesting jumble because he did kind of fib a lot, didn't he? It seems like I remember him. He did him. what a lot? Fib. He did fib. what a lot? I didn't quite catch that. He fibs a lot. He fibbed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or whatever the word would be. He lies. Okay. You know, and it sounds suspiciously like a certain other person that we know that was in the White House for four years. But, um, yeah, it's, I don't know, to the twenty, thirty thousand amount. But um, it, it seemed as though um, he had quite an ego, too, didn't he? Well, you know, there's, there's one thing that I, I really want to mention about this chart, that yes. is the Mars in the first house opposing the Pluto and Leo. Yeah. And to me, if you're a fan of Rush, you see that as a strength, as his tough sort of right. uh, gutsy side. If yeah. you're not a fan of Rush, you see that as a bully sort of energy right he was very forceful very critical and uh you know you can take a chart like this and you can't tell how someone's going to work with it so you look at let's say um charlie chaplin and adolf hitler were born four days apart and had they even look the same wow and they had very similar patterns in their horoscope but one became a symbol of great pain and suffering the other became a symbol of great laughter and mirth Right. And someone else, I'm sure if we, we could find someone else born the same time as Rush that would express these energies in a very different way, for better or worse. Right. But that Mars opposing the Pluto, I think, is 
one of the defining things in his chart, but he does have with the with the Mars training the Neptune there's a certain element of charisma and glamour, I think, to his persona and also the Venus training the Saturn. Venus yeah. in the first house. There's no question that he had a certain kind of appeal. You don't get to where he got to. Yeah. If you don't have a certain charisma and a certain charm. Yeah. And that's that's clearly shown here too, in addition to those very tough energies. Yeah, you know, the thing of it too is is that with Aquarius rising, I thought, Oh, what what a thing to throw at him after all this all the Capricorn that's in his chart that wants to do everything along the right side of the street, right? You know, and then he has Aquarius rising, you know, and that kind of that kind of supports the Uranus factor in his life. You know, it, it kind of dovetails into his personality, you know, so he was always probably challenging people on their beliefs and all that would make sense. But, you yeah. know, it's interesting because he has Aquarius rising. I have Venus and Aquarius in my seventh. I, I thought he was kind of cute. You know, and I don't I thought I have no idea why, but you know, I guess those other factors that you mentioned would have been cause for that. So yeah, that makes sense. And the you Mars know, I remember once a psychologist talking about some it was a Jungian psychologist talking about some famous radical in the news. Yeah. And how this radical was going up against the establishment and the psychologist made a very insightful point and said that well, this radical must have an awful lot of establishment inside himself in order to be so against the establishment. Yeah. And I think you see both the liberal and the, the conservative sides in Russia's chart, and his whole life was about the battle between those two polarities. Right, exactly. I totally agree with that, because that's what I kind of came down to, like the war between Uranus and Saturn, which is going to win, yeah. you know? And actually, he, he invested in all things conservative, the Saturn, but the Uranus stuff kept creeping up through the back door, you know? Yeah. And, and it was something that, um, that people may have been surprised by, which would certainly be an Aquarian thing, but uh, it would have been like a surprise point of view that he would describe, and everybody's going, what? But that's liberal, huh? You know, so yeah. uh, it's... It gives it's an interesting dichotomy, and also I want to talk about this Pisces moon. Okay, I was just going to say that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and here's got a 12th house sun. He has a sun Uranus or sun, no sun Neptune square and Pisces moon. I said, you know, and I made mention of this online to you, and you were kind of having to think about it. I said, well, it seems like he's learning how to be sensitive and kind this lifetime, you know, and and. There was really not that much in him um, publicly. You never see that side of him. But you'd have to have seen it at home or with his wife or whomever, you know, that sensitive, kind side, you know, because... I would put it a little bit differently. I would say, rather than, let's say, kind, I would probably say vulnerable, because I think that when you see someone who's full of that much bluster and sort of I'm the greatest sort of Muhammad Ali type of you know, bluster. Right. There's usually, it's a compensatory sort of thing yeah. where the person is compensating for an insecurity. Yeah. And I think between his Neptune square sun and the moon in Pisces, especially opposing the Saturn, yeah. I think there was a lot of insecurity in the man. And you, you see that in a lot of, in fact, probably most really famous successful people where why would someone be driving that hard to become famous and successful if they didn't have that kind of vulnerability? Right. And that, I think, is how I personally would look at that moon and Pisces. 
Yeah, it gives it gives him some sort of humanity, actually, to yeah. to to be able to express that side of himself, you know, the side yeah. that vulnerable side, you know, and when that would come out, it would be that would probably endear people to him, if anything, you know, people yeah. that kind of look for those qualities in another person. So yeah, I and mean, I'm sure his family members look at him differently than well, I don't know what his ex-wives would think, but I tend to think that. Uh, in fact, I read an interview once of a one of his cousins or something, they went to a family reunion or some holiday gathering that Rush was at and said that Rush made a comment in the course of the gathering. I know a lot of you have been put through a lot because of, you know, what I've been doing on the air and all this, and I want to apologize. So he was well aware of the turbulence he stirred up yeah. with his his stage persona and the effect it had on loved ones. Now, right. You know, how aware in terms of how much he cared about that, I don't really know. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, it'd be kind of like, you know, if he was destined to do what he did, which he did, you know, and you look at his chart and go, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And then you look at the Pisces moon, and you're going, what? Hello, what's that doing there? You know, yeah. and I remember doing a reading for a couple who had just had gave birth to a baby. It was like two weeks old when I did a reading on the baby. And it had everything sensitive. And these two people were hairdressers. So, you know, they were kind of on the left side of the fence and intuitive and all that. And then <laughs> then I said, and she's got a moon in Capricorn. And they went, what? No, 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 she can't have a moon in Capricorn. She's going to be terrible. Oh, ick, ick. You know, and that's like the reverse of Rush, basically. You know, having somebody with very liberal tendencies. And then you have a Capricorn moon. I mean, where's the? Mm. there's a joke in there somewhere. But um, I told her that the best thing you can do is she's going to run your business when she's older. You know, you guys will be rich and famous and all that, and she's going to be able to be the practical, down-to-earth person that's going to help you organize it, you know. And you'll need that because, you know, Neptune people don't do that that well. So, you know, so I said there's a bright side to every coin with that. So, yep. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. Let's let's, see, let's move on to a different topic. You you mentioned on the um, on message this morning that you wanted to talk a little bit about Trump and his final passage, I believe, of Pluto over his Venus and Saturn. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's the last passage of it. It might be, but the Pluto has been uh, slamming Trump's chart the last few days very yeah. strongly. Pluto's opposing his Venus and. That uh, I've been writing about this for the last year or two in terms of what this could mean. And one of the things is Pluto tends to reveal buried secrets coming to life. Yeah. Uh, coming to light. And, and it turns out that um, apparently Ghislaine Maxwell, I'm not sure if that's the right pronunciation. Oh, there was an article. Ghislaine Maxwell? Yeah. Ghislaine Maxwell. Right. Uh, apparently she acknowledged that there were indeed some tapes of both. Trump and Clinton uh -huh. know, that Epstein had taken. Yeah. Now, I don't know if this story will gain any traction and anyone else is going to pick up on it. It was on Yahoo News. Okay. And it's quite possible that I thought it was going to be financial secrets coming to light. And, of course, they're still trying to pry open his tax right. records yeah. and his financial records. So I think this whole year he's still continuing to ride the rapids. with. Yeah, he's just like really close to the edge. He really is yeah. close to it, about ready to fall over, actually. I mentioned on your Facebook page this morning, I said, even the pee, -pee tapes? <laughs> well, it could be. <laughs> well, you well, know, we, I thought. We don't know. It's, you know. Very, it's very possible that things will come to light. 
Yeah. Uh, not only for him, for, but possibly for Bill Clinton. You know, I, yeah. I personally have no doubt that both of them were involved with Epstein's, uh, you know, shadier yeah. activities. But yeah. the other thing that I think the Pluto is bringing out is that uh, Trump is on the war path in terms of mm-hmm. revenge against the people he feels that betrayed him. Right. Pluto has a lot to do with betrayal. It has a lot to do with vindictiveness and revenge. Right. And I think he's just getting revved up in terms of how he plans to get back at those Republicans that uh, voted to impeach, as well as, of course, Mitch McConnell, who's right in the crosshairs. Yep, he is. Yeah. And, he, you know, I think everybody's been kind of holding their tongue for four years, everybody that's been around him, because they would be afraid yeah. of his, his uh, wrath, basically. And, and so, they still are. Uh, yeah, a lot of them still are, you know. And it's probably why they lost the thing in the impeachment trial. You know, too many Republicans were too afraid to, you know, to speak out. And a lot of them, people were saying that if they had done it by a secretive ballot, they would have had, yeah. they would have won it. So no doubt, no doubt, yeah. And uh, so, you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, I I really am amazed that Mitch actually spoke out the way he did. I really was amazed that he says, I'm not having another thing to do with him, not speaking to him again, you know, toss your hair back type of thing. It's sort of rather sort of a um, sort of a female thing to do to say that, you know, and I hate to be, I hate to, I hate to categorize it, but I'm never going to speak to you again. Flip, flip goes by the hair, you know, and you know, that's a Leo rising thing. So I just know how that works. But um, it, it's, um, I'm very surprised at his, you know, he there's something visceral that got to him during this this whole thing that happened on January 6th. Now, let me ask you something. Um, yeah. I didn't even bother to check the transits on January 6th. And I mean, that was quite a thing that happened, you know, and everybody is saying that literally turned everything around, especially for Trump. It did, because when they found Trump was connected to it, that was it. As it, they threw him out out the door or out the window with a bath water. So, were there any big transits going on at that time? Do you remember? Well, speaking of station points, it, it, <laughs> I, I don't think it was as much right on the sixth. In fact, that's something that I'm still looking into. But you could really say the entire month of January was colored not only by the Uranus station point, but the Uranus Mars, which is a very explosive energy. Okay. And around the same time, as you know, there was the, the turmoil in Russia, and there was right. one other country, which I forget, that was also in turmoil. Oh, Myanmar. So the, Myanmar. Uh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And so the entire month was colored by these extremely turbulent sort of um, seismic energies. And, uh, and you combine that with the fact that the United States is undergoing over the next few years this um, revolutionary sort of Pluto return followed by yeah. the Uranus return. There's a lot going on. I don't know specifically about the sixth. I can't speak to that as much as I can to okay. the entire period that that yeah. was happening. I, I don't know why I never checked it, but, you know, I just remember that day watching TV and I said, I don't believe what I'm seeing here. This is nuts. You know, and I, yeah. I should have figured it was something Uranus. Uranus, when did it go stationary? It was around the 14th or 15th. Oh, well, that's it, close it enough. Stationary. And you have to give that easily a week or two on either side because yeah. it moves so slowly. It's standing still like a branding iron for a well, long time. Well, yeah, it was definitely standing still at, on the 6th, for sure. So, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
So anyway, we've got to take another break right now when we get back with more with Ray Grassi. So this is the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. And this is a live read for Barrel Full of Monkeys with Matt Shea. Matt Shea is running a new business. It's a production company called Barrel Full of Monkeys Productions. And it's a brand new venture, and he's doing a collection of Matt's writings. You know, he's got a lot of books out in mini audio audio book form. The first audio book is now out with only $5. And you can get this at his website at www.mattsheabooks.net. And we will be working on our second audiobook, and we have worked on it. I think we still have n- another book to enter on this one. We have had sort of a falling out one of the members who's going to be doing it. So got to get somebody else to read it. But we're going to do that and probably get it done by the end of this month. So anyway, and we'll let you know when that comes out. So don't forget, one of his favorite books is Meadowdale Community Project. It's a great book. So Matt would love to hear from you and promises to answer any or all who contact him. You can write to him at his personal email address at workinmatt7, W-O-R-K-N-M-A-T-T-7, at AOL.com. And don't forget his website, www.mattsheabooks.net. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Caroline Haldman back to make sense of a welter of issues facing America during these turbulent times. On Saturday, Elizabeth Wilson joins us for a round of metaphysical Q&A. When all of this is over, what do you plan to do with your life? Bringing you mastery and mystery one hour at a time since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back to the Jupiter Rising show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. And before we go on with Ray, I want to mention the two books that I've been reading this week in tandem. First one is the latest book that he has out at the Sun Stretched Out Before Me, Encounters with Mystics, Anomalies, and Waking Dreams. That's the new book. That's all about his journey, metaphysical, spiritual journey. It's very cool. So anyway, and the second book is Stargates by um, Essays on Astrology, Symbolism, and the Synchronistic Universe. Those are really light topics. Oh. Anyway, those are her, his two books, and you can get them at raygrassy.com. G-R-A-S-S-E.com. Okay. So now we're back with Ray, and... We've been talking about Trump and all of his his machinations. You know, I think just studying his chart for the last four years has really kept astrologers going. <laughs> I really yeah. do, Ray. You know, because it's it's such a it's such an it's such a mystery that how the man could get as far as he did with all the stuff he has in his chart. That's all I can say. Well, he's got a powerful horoscope. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. He's born on a full moon, right? Um, with an eclipse. With yeah. an eclipse, and there's, you know, some important stars in his chart, and, uh, yeah. you know, there's three station points in his chart. I believe it's Jupiter, Neptune, and uh, or at least there's two. I forget. Yeah, I Jupiter and one. Neptune. I think Chiron is the other one. Oh, that could be Chiron, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a powerhouse chart, but again, that's the, the chart does not show. It's one of the things about astrology that's tricky. The chart doesn't show 
what someone's going to do with it in the same way that a piece of sheet music, it's the analogy I often use. Right, that that's a good point. You take a piece of sheet music and, you know, someone might play it in the style of jazz, another person might play it, in, you know, in a more somber fashion. Right. And the chart is the same way. Two people born at the same time, including twins, by the way, yes. may have the same chart, essentially, and yet manifested quite different. Yeah, exactly. And I, I remember studying years ago about Jim Jones' chart. He was born in May, uh, I can't remember the year. And also Marshall Applewhite, who was also another yes. one of those guys, born four days after him, yep. with essentially the same chart, same stations, and they both ended up being cult leaders. I thought that was rather interesting. Yeah, under Neptune State, they were both born under a Neptune station point, that, as I recall. That's right. I and believe. Also, yeah. And also Mercury, too, was there. So Mercury right, and Neptune right. stationary, and boy, were they able to hoodwink people with that, you know, talk right. very hypnotically to their their congregation. And I remember seeing the films of Marshall Applewhite. He was very, it was very seductive, very seductive the way he did it, you know, so right. I could see why he would probably fool some people. So, yeah, and um, so I kind of want to talk a little bit about astrology and music. Because I think you and I, Ray, have a similar background. Um, I was born um, into a house of artists. My parents were both visual artists. They painted. And they also did music later on in their life. I didn't do, I didn't do art because I wasn't any good at it. But I did the music thing. I started at six years old, started playing piano, and then I went into voice. Later on, I got a degree in music um, later on. But it, but it also, I naturally got attracted to astrology. It just sort of like I just went for step, step right, and then I stepped left into astrology. It was an easy change. So I'm just wondering about, it seems to me that there are many astrologers that are musicians. It seems yeah. like, yeah, that their roots are in music. And I think there's two, at least two reasons for that. One is that music tends to work out of the one side of the brain, the yes. right side of the brain, which is more intuitive, it's more holistic, and so does astrology. You know, the one uh, explanation of astrology that one of my teachers gave years ago was that astrology is simply astronomy that's interpreted symbolically. Okay. And there is that symbolic dimension that requires a certain intuition, a certain holistic, integrative sort of mindset. And when you work in music... Um, it, it, you're aware of harmonies. Yeah. You're aware of lateral connections. It's uh, it's more likely for a musician to go into astrology than, let's say, someone raised in a family of accountants. I'm not saying that can't <laughs> I would <happen>. think so. <laughs> you know, but there's a certain literalness to, let's say, accounting or to, you know, looking at facts as pure right. literal facts without any symbolic inference yeah. or cross correspondences. And when you're, when you're dealing with astrology, you're looking for harmonies between events to a great extent. Yes. And yes. that symbolic component. And, I, and so very often you do see that sense of astrologers have, have, are musicians or come from a background of music. It's yeah. very common. I, I've always explained it that um, the language of astrology and the language of music all based on notation of symbols. You know, and the symbols yeah. are interpreted by the musician. That's true. You know, and it's it depends on the individual musician and how they interpret the music. 
can be done compl- like you were mentioning earlier. You know, somebody taking on the same piece, two piece, two two people, and can come out completely differently. You know, and so um, being that you know, you and I are similar. Like I said, we both have the musical background, but. Um, when I started astrology and I, I was kind of told about it by a friend and, and he says, well, you can go read about it in a book. I went, really? I can read about it in a whole book? No, I found out that's just the, the skin off the top of the iceberg. But um, yeah. I realized the similarities between the, um, the expression of the notes and how they're interpreted by the musician or by the astrologer. Same thing, you know. And um, I, I just I just thought it was interesting when I first get it, got into astrology, it was my, just a few years before both my parents passed away. And my mother was into astrology, I found out later on, you know, and I was very surprised by that. But she didn't have her time of birth, so that was a problem. But, um, yeah, it was sort of a natural, it was a natural inclination for me. And also... My great-grandmother was an astrologer, too, so I found that out, too, through my mother's side, you know, so it kind of ran through the family. Yeah, I have it in my family, in my roots, but, you know, the music started first, you know, to to really understand what it was like to take a piece of music and and, and interpret one way or interpret some or a way that you've heard it or something, you know, that becomes a part of the expression of how you do that piece. So, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's extraordinary how simple, how close it is. You know, I, I think they're on parallel tracks. I really do. You know, they're very... That's a very si- good point. Hmm? That's a very good point. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, they're parallel tracks because they're so similar to each other yet so different, you know. And, um, yeah, and uh, the natural thing for me was to just go over to astrology. It was just more interesting than music was, you know, even though... Music can be interpreted many ways. The astrological chart has abundance of type of interpretations, you know, depending on the person. So you've got a lot of different variables going on there. But the more complex, the better. So anyway. And then you have the classic notion of the music of the spheres, which is this idea that the there are rhythms of the cosmos itself. Yes. That, that you know, we, we are defined to a great extent by the rhythms of the day-night cycle, by the... Uh, the patterns of the moon, and each individual horoscope represents a certain set of patterns and rhythms. And in the opening chapter of, of Stargates, I talk about this a little bit, how yeah. it's almost like there's a percussive order to the universe in yeah. terms of the, the way all of these different planets establish patterns, establish rhythms, and we're defined by that to a great extent, and, yes. uh, whether we know it or not. and. It leads me to something else, too, which is that years ago I had discussions with several colleagues about different types of music are, can be related to different planetary energies. So, yes. for example, militaristic music yeah. is very Martian. A pomp and circumstance type of you know, royalty kind of music is very Jupiterian. Yes. Uh, you have uh, romantic music tends to be very you know, Venusian, etc., and, you know, there, there's, there are these symbolic qualities in the music that you're attracted to. Like, I'm attracted for various reasons. One of my favorite composers is Debussy. Yes. And to the pieces of music he wrote in the 1890s, like Afternoon of a Fawn yes. and Daphne and Chloe. And that's right when Pluto was conjunct Neptune. 
at seven degrees of Gemini, which is where my Venus is. You know, oh, we're kind of, perfect. We're drawn to different periods of history that are related to our horoscope and to the patterns in our own horoscope, as well as different different kinds of music. Exactly. You know, and I was thinking about, you know, our 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 theme song from our show is the Jupiter movement from the Planet Suite. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes. You know, and of course, um, Gustav Holst started off as a musician, and he was also an astrologer. So it, it was interesting that those two lanes were parallel in his life, and he used the uh, not the astronomical meanings of the planets to write that the planet suite. He used the astrological symbology, the archetypal symbology, to write those those the planetary suite. And and they just make so much sense when you listen to it. I was listening to it on my way up. I have a CD of it in my car. That's where it stays. I play it in the car all the time. Of course, I have to be careful not to play Mars all the time. I start getting an angry. <laughs> so, <laughs> There's something about that Mars. And by the way, if someone comes into uh, astrology and they want to understand the the qualities and the meanings of the planets, uh, they c- can really... Uh, do no better than to listen to Holst. You know, he doesn't cover Pluto because it wasn't discovered yet. He doesn't cover that's, the sun and the moon. That's true. But the other planets, it's absolutely pitch perfect what he does. And you mentioned Mars. Yes. There's an interesting synchronicity about that, and that is that when he composed the uh, the first suite that he composed for the, the, the planets was Mars. And oh, that yeah. coincidentally uh, happened to come out to be finished right around the time that World War I started. Oh, my goodness sake. Yes, that's so amazing. So he was tuned into something there. Yeah, he certainly was, you know. And um, I remember years ago uh, when I was in this choir, um, a lo- local choir here in Seattle, and we were asked to lend the, the soprano and the alto voices to a piece that, that the Seattle Symphony was going to do. And uh, so we had to be marched over to the opera house and stand backstage and sing this wonderful like etheric sound well we were doing the neptune you know the neptune uh, movement which has got the high voices at the end you know and they just sort of fade off into the distance you know and and it was that was the first time i'd heard anything about that and um it it was was really hard to sing let me tell you it was like we had to (laughs) sing way up high you know i think i was a, a second alto or something like that so it was difficult but um, it, it was really an amazing thing just to be exposed to that music. Then it came back to it later on and, and realized how valuable that was, the situation. But, um, yeah, we, we just had to kind of move over there and, and do that for, for the Seattle Symphony. And it was pretty awesome because I love the way it's done. It's so Neptunian, you know. And Your listeners can just go into YouTube and find several recordings of the entire yes. Uh, Yes. Suite uh, on on YouTube. It's it's quite beautiful. That's right. And I was just I was just going to tell Nathan. Nathan did that for when we had Michelangelo Na on. We did uh, Gustav Holst, and we did the Planet Suite, and we took recording from each one, a little snippet from each one of the the Planetary Suite, and played it on the air. You know, and it was awesome. So we loved it. You know, I had to send it to him in links. From, from YouTube where he could go find the, the different um, pieces. So I still have that on my computer, too, so just in case I need it. But, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, the thing uh, the thing that I thought amazing, and I could talk about the planet suite all day because it is so representative archetypally of the planets that that are that are being featured. I mean, um, I this one that I adore besides the Jupiter suite, which is so wonderful, is the Saturn suite. You know, and um, the Saturn suite sounds out so dirge-like. There's this metronomic feeling to it, like the time passes on. And at the end, it sort of starts to move into um, getting through the dust and the, and the clouds and coming out to a beautiful sunset. You know, that's what it I keep... It in a very beautiful way. It's just so exquisite. You know, sort of like you're at the end of... Lo- oh, we got to take a break. Oh, my gosh, we're talking like crazy. Anyway, <clears throat> I just wanted to talk a little bit about that because, you know, the experience of that was... See, hearing that music just validated the stuff that I do with astrology. So, anyway, so we'll be right back here with the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. <laughs> And this is a live read for Susan Bergstrom of the Medicare Exchange. Susan is a licensed agent in Washington and Oregon, helping people obtain security in their lives by providing insurance that pays for final expenses and money for transitioning after a loved one dies. Retirement consists of a lot of moving parts. She will help you with Medicare plans that best suit your needs. Medicare is not only state-specific, it is also county-specific. Having lots of opportunities, she will help you narrow down the choices to one that is suitable for your health and your financial needs. This includes advantage plans, supplements, and prescription drug plans in Part D. Okay, seniors can rely on Susan to help obtain financial security through many programs that protect seniors from market downturns and guarantee a competitive rate of return with no downside risks. Susan will also educate you on long-term care. This is an area many people do not plan for in retirement. Early planning can protect your assets and provide dignity in your later years. Susan Susan enjoys working with people and has partnered with a Medicare exchange located in Tacoma and Linwood, Washington. You can talk freely about your situation and you will know that Susan will work to make you comfortable in all decisions that need to be made. You can contact her at 253-318-9379 or by email at sbergstrom at americanseniorbenefits.com. Miss a show on KKNW? Check out 1150kknw.com for podcasts of many of our programs. That's 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. We have on Ray Grassy this morning. And Ray and I have been talking about astrology and music because it's so interwoven. But let's see, what else have we got to talk about today? Ray, what have you got? I wanted to mention that uh, I believe that Herschel, who discovered Uranus, yes. I believe he was a musician as well. Was he? Interesting. And, um, I need to double-check that, but I'm quite sure. But I also want to mention, for the sake of the listeners, that Mercury is going direct in a, in a couple hours here. Sometime sure today. Exact time on that. Sometime today. Yeah. Which, you know, Mercury retrograde is not some horrible thing, it, no. but it can be a pain in the butt. <laughs> and, I, for example, this last week I have had more snafus and complications with phone calls or emails. And, and so it does produce certain complications if the supporting aspects are there in your horoscope. 
But I'm always glad when it does go forward because it tends to make things go a little bit easier in terms yeah. of communications and contracts and yes, it does. matters especially. Well, you are a Gemini, Ray. We know how this yeah. affects you. So, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of it. Mercury rules Gemini. So it, when his ruler is out of whack, it kind of discombobulates things a bit. So, uh, you know, um, I've I've often looked at Mercury retrograde as an opportunity to get deep into a subject when I'm researching it. Yeah. Be- because to just try to get moving forward through something and trying to get through a specific chapter or something like that, it's impossible because I keep stopping in, at points, wanting to research points, you know. So I figure I might as well give myself completely over to that process when I'm doing it. You know, because otherwise I'll just drive myself crazy. But it does help because Mercury means it's retrograding. It's going backwards. It's going back over stuff that you've already yeah. gone through. You know, and when you go back through stuff, sometimes you find little nuggets that are perfect. So, yeah. And the people I've known as an editor, I've worked with a lot of writers over the years. And some of the most brilliant writers I've known and worked with we're born with mercury retrograde right and there is a certain kind of interning a certain reflectivity that you see sometimes with mercury retrograde individuals where they they're they're not just kind of blowing smoke you know, right there's, there's, yeah there's a tendency to kind of think and yes. to digest with the mercury retrograde now that can be difficult for them when they're younger sometimes in terms of holding back maybe it's I, I, I look at the retrograde phenomena, phenomena like someone pulling back the bow on a on a uh, ar- archery, what would you call it, on a bow, pulling back the string on a bow. Okay. And it's like it, it, it gives it more energy so that the further back you pull the string, when you do release it, it has that much more kind of force. And I've seen that in the charts of individuals that when they were younger, tended to be more withdrawn with the, they weren't as overt in their communication yeah. they might have been the kid that didn't raise their hand in class but when that mercury goes direct or when they finally resonate to it yeah they can become a brilliant speaker a brilliant a real writer, that sort of thing yeah exactly I, i've often thought and every time i find a mercury in a retrograde uh in a client's chart barring anything else in the chart like say if it's a ninth house Mercury or it's a Sag rising or whatever things is going on. I said, have you tried writing, you know, and well, no, they'll try it. You know, you may, the thing is they have a natural edit button built in anyway with, with the Mercury retrograde. So, I mean, they would probably go back over it, but not so much. If you got a Mercury and Virgo retrograde, then it's really going to be too much. But, you know, at least go over stuff maybe once or twice to see if what you're saying is what you want to say, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's uh, it can be, I, I keep hearing different stories about Mercury, like Mercury retrograde is when Mercury is closest to the Earth, you know. So that makes it sort of a rather more mature Mercury in some respects. You know, it's not going to say anything until it's ready to say it, you know, until it's been thought through and all that kind of stuff. So that that could be it. It puts it puts the edit button on the mouth fairly easily, but you know for a good reason because once they say it, it's pretty powerful. Yeah. Very in a broader sense, you look at a horoscope and you'll see some very very stressful patterns, and very often 
the charts that have the greatest stress are the ones that are most successful. Like yes. you could say Rush Limbaugh, for example. Yes, yes, definitely. And it's it's the stress of the chart often is the fuel that gives rise to either the creativity or the drive to success. Yes. It can yeah. be dysfunctional sometimes. Yeah. But when you see a chart that's nothing but trine, yeah. it's not that that's bad. No. You know, this could be an R&R lifetime, a rest and relaxation lifetime, but it's not the chart of someone that will necessarily be very ambitious. Right, or, not uh, too much drive successful there. Successful in a worldly sense. Yeah. If, I, you know, I thank God for my squares and oppositions. I really do, because those are the ones that really propel me through things. That if every time I hit a wall, I move past it, you know, especially with Mercury and, you know, with Saturn and Mercury together. I mean, I remember in grade school how, um, how upset I was if I had to get up and do a book report in front of a class, you know. Of course it would have been, you know, or if I had to give, had to talk in front of people. Oh, my goodness. You know, they say that, Public speaking is the world's worst fear that everybody has. Death is sixth on the list. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I read that somewhere and I said, I believe it. I believe it. You know, and one of the reasons I do this show with my Saturn-Mercury opposition is because that's why I'm doing it. You know, every week I come here and I sit down. I'm a little nervous every time I've been doing this for six years now. I'm a little bit nervous, and I'm really glad that I'm nervous because it'll keep me on top of things, you know. So, yeah. You know it, what's funny? I, was, uh, I recently saw an interview with Matthew McConaughey. Oh, yeah. pronounce it, in which he was talking about his trouble, his difficulty in life with okay. reading, where he said it took him six months to get through a book, a small book by okay. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Oh. And I said, I bet he's got Saturn Mercury, some square or opposition, because that's very often. I have a Saturn trine Mercury, but it, I'm a very slow reader. I have to read things two or three times to really digest it. Right. And I looked up his chart, and uh, Matthew had an exa- almost exact Saturn opposed Mercury. Yeah. Yes. That's amazing. I mean, you can tell when people have that, you know, when when there's a block built into their system, you know, and I can't say it because it may not sound smart enough, you know, and I I mean, that's a thing that I've always lectured people who have Saturn Mercury aspects that come to me. I said, there's we have two minutes. huh? Okay. Anyway, um, we have to close up here in a second. But I always say, you know, there's just stuff that you have to do that, you know, do it anyway. Even you can translate fear into excitement. You can actually cross that bridge and do that, you know. And then when you do that, things get better. They get easier, you know. And so um, it's um, it's something I always had to work on really hard. But I'm really glad that I have it. And it took yeah. me, you know, seven years to write a book. Of course, that's part of a Saturn cycle. My first book. But it was it was well researched. Everything was done right in it, you know. And of course, the biggest fear I had was sending it to people to to proof it, you know, other astrologers. Oh my God, that scared me to death. Someone just told me that Matthew McGonaghy he just came out with a bestseller, and this is you know he's not a kid. Oh wow! Well, by really my good for him. Maybe that's great. You know, but it's like number one or two. They said on wow. the New York Times bestseller list, and that's, that's amazing. part of that Saturn Mercury. It's a I late blooming sort of thing that can bear fruit when wow. you're older. Okay, we've got to let you go. It's almost time for us to check on out of here, right? Thank you again for being on our show. You were awesome as usual. Thank you so much. Okay, that's it for us. I think how much time we got here? Less than a minute. 
Yeah, okay. Anyway, just really quick, next week on the show we have on Michelangelo, we are going to do the show on Mozart. We're so excited. He's my favorite composer besides Holst. Anyway, so we're going to be doing that next week, and we're going to have a good time. So hang on to your shorts, and we're going to be back next week at 11 o'clock this time. And you hang on there and, and listen to us next week. This is the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio.